This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm here today with Derek Konifalski, Digital Guru, and Liz Rowe, Digital Journalist, two amazing members of our team here. And we focus a great deal on video production, both short and long form, in our department. And we've talked in previous episodes about all the different ways that we use video, but I thought it would be really cool to spend some time chatting about how to choose the best format for a video or if a video is even necessary. Actually, this was Liz's idea. I didn't think about it. She did. <laughs> um, this is your but it fault. But it was a great suggestion, I thought. Yeah, because we do get so many requests, and it seems very natural nowadays. Everybody wants a video for everything. And so there has to be a process because we only have two people, two digital journalists, and really we've only had one for the last three months because one of our staff members has been out on maternity leave. So you know, when you don't have a lot of resources or people dedicated to video, it's really important that you take the time to be sure that a video is even necessary in the first place, right? That's right. So one thing you really want to ask yourself is, does it have visual elements? So I would say that's the first thing to think about when considering a video. So is it visual? Um, Another thing to consider is, does it have movement? A lot of people forget about that. So video, you want something that's going to be engaging and compelling to watch, something that has movement. If not, maybe it's better to be a series of photographs. Um, Another thing to consider would be, is it compelling enough that you would want to watch it for a set time? So maybe one minute to five minutes is what you would want to consider. So is it going to be compelling enough material? Is it visual enough that you're going to want to watch it for that amount of time? Another thing to consider would be, is there a story or a narrative arc? So is there, is it going somewhere? Is it, does it follow a path? Does it follow a journey? So that would definitely be something to consider as well. Yes, definitely. And we do get a lot of requests like make a vid- video about the budget, you know, and, and, and honestly, there are ways to do that. We can take that. Emmy, to me, it sounds like Emmy nominated video about the budget, the, bu- the budget, but <laughs> we have fall. to get creative and we figure out a way like, let's say that most of the investment in next year's budget is going to be in public safety. So we could do a really fun kind of highlight reel showing some of the key areas where we're going to be making an investment. So there are ways. And again, this would be something that's like 30 seconds to a minute, something to supplement a larger presentation about the budget. And so there are ways to work around, but it is true. Everybody now especially comes and they say, I want a video for X, Y, or Z. Okay. What do you really need a video? And if so, like you said, with the story arc, what are you trying to convey? What are you trying to tell? And now with live video versus highly produced, there are a lot of options. There's a lot of ways that we can make a video, but it doesn't have to be this long drawn out produced, you know, piece with a script and pre and post production, which is great too. I always say this is live video has given us a lot more options to give people videos when they want them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is more engaging. I will say, not that not everything needs a video, but I always talk about the visual elements. So moving away from a traditional written press release, but something that people can click on, engage, attract their attention, especially on social, whether that's a still photograph, or as you said, photographs maybe with music as in a video format, or a real video. So there's lots of things that we're looking at, plus incorporating text um, Mm -hmm. is something we're using. But it's so funny when you talked about the length, because when I started here five years ago, you know, we were into this kind of like long, 30-minute shows. Like I know cities around us that still do weekly shows with their council member and their mayor, and these are like 30 minutes to an hour. 
ain't nobody got time for that. You know, we now shorter the better. And every time you turn around, it needs to be even shorter because people's attention spans just aren't there. Yeah, I think too, with the advent of live video, Liz is talking about, you know, the story and having stuff planned out or whatever. I think a lot of people uh, make the mistake of thinking that because live video is a thing now that you don't have to prepare, but there's still a lot of preparation and planning that goes into a live video, even if the content of the video itself is still kind of impromptu and done live or improv or whatever. I've also noticed that there's a trend with YouTube videos now where they seem like they're unplanned and very impromptu and people will like do cutaways to like show off mistakes and stuff like that. But all of that is still planned out in advance. Like they anticipate for that kind of thing. They plan to make those affordances. It's not like they just like decided to make a video one day and then started filming and oh, all these mistakes just happened to work out perfectly or the video went exactly the way I planned it. No. All that stuff is planned out. They have a story that they're trying to do. And the the cutaways and the, the kind of vulnerabilities are all part of the story of that video. It's not something that just came up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I would say live video gives you an opportunity to personalize your brand or personalize um, what you're trying to convey. So whether that's through a host or maybe you have the mayor introducing the video, it gives you the opportunity to really um, engage with your audience. And then in regards to that, the comments as well. So you get those live real-time comments from your audience, which, you know, you don't get that with anything else. Good or bad. So yes, (laughs) good or bad, you take it all. Um, But I would say, yeah, live video is great for events or anything that has a limited time span. Um, it allows the community, again, to be very engaged. So we did a live video of our Gilbert Days Parade is one really great example. And we had so many comments from the community that said, oh, we're so glad we couldn't make it out to this event, but we were so glad to be able to follow it and watch everything from the comfort of their own homes. And again, they can tune in and out whenever they'd like, and it just really opens up another outlet for your community to engage. Exactly. And not everything lends itself to a live video, but things like events or cooking demonstrations or, you know, business openings, things like that where you can bring, it used to be like when we first started live tweeting, right? Like that was it because that was before live video. It was like trying to bring people in to where you are to experience something. And that was just with words without visual when it was just on Twitter. And now we can do that same thing with video. And it started with Periscope and now we're really kind of focused on Facebook Live because that's where our more localized engagement is. And so I think it's really important. And again, not everything is going to lend itself to being the best live video, you could get yourself in a situation where you put someone on the spot, they're not ready to talk, or they might say something that, you know, you would have clearly edited out and if it had been a produced piece. So those are things to be aware of too, if you're out there and you haven't stepped into the video space yet, you know, really think ahead of time about who's going to be participating if you are going to be doing live video and, and, and what that could mean. Yeah. All part of the planning. I think that is a mistake that is kind of rookie is to have somebody in a live video that's not comfortable or prepared to be on camera in a live situation. I think Gilbert Days that Liz mentioned is actually one of the more perfect events for a live video just because we saw it last year, but people would tune in like 
a quarter of the way through and be like, what the heck is this? Like, what am I watching? And you can see those comments. You can respond to them directly. It's not like somebody has to keep repeating every five minutes. We're watching the Gilbert Days Parade from, you know, downtown Gilbert in the Heritage District. And this is what it is. And let me explain this. And then you also get the benefit of the replays afterwards that people mm-hmm. can watch that stuff. So. And also breaking news. So not to forget, live video is one of the best sources for breaking news now. So people know they can go onto Facebook, they can see video, see the news, see it happening and unfolding live right in front of them. Exactly. Another place where they would probably have gone to Twitter just to go looking and searching. How many times have you seen something and you're like, let me look on Twitter. One night we thought there was an earthquake in the middle of the night. It's like, let me go to Twitter. Uh, and there was. There, there had been a small earthquake. But um, now you can actually go and you get that visual, which is what you were talking about, mm-hmm. which I think is really great. And it's unfiltered. It's an unfiltered visual. You're getting, yeah. you know, there's no commentary. I mean, there is kind of some commentary, but you're not getting like the opinion of what's going on, really. You're just getting observations on what's happening, which I think is great. Um, I recently spoke to a counterpart in another city last week, and she was saying she wanted to know what uh, was reasonable as far as output for video, what my expectations were for my staff to be creating video, and she looked a little surprised. Wait, like like the amount of time or? Um, slash shocked when I said they're creating video content every day. So whether it's releasing a video a day, you're either shooting it or you're editing it, but you're touching and creating content every day. And last week we met, I think you showed me five or six different videos that were going to be going out. Some were short, some were PSAs, um, some obviously more highly produced than others. One was an internal video, some external. So, um, but she looked really surprised and she said, well, my staff have shown me two videos that she could think of in the last few months. Mm-hmm. And so we started kind of talking through this and, and she was like, so I should be asking for more. And, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, daily were, and again, not everything is so highly produced, but think about the different types of video that you're touching every day. Um, some of the ones that we mentioned already, but um, event packages that you may go out covering, you know, certain events, but then also taking something as sim- simple as a soundbite and B-roll and uploading it. Um, through our FTP site so that the news media, if they're not able to come and cover event, could share that as well. Um, But you are creating video every day, again, whether that's editing or releasing or out shooting live or, um, you know, shooting something for a package that you're going to edit and turn later. Um, But again, it's it's a daily occurrence Mm -hmm. in in our department. And you can plan for that stuff. Obviously, if you don't feel like you have things that are video worthy, then Start planning some stuff that's video worthy and you can get into kind of a groove where you have new video every day or every other yeah, day. Yeah, and whatever. we do little things like the manager's update um, via video and those are set to, to be released bi-weekly. And so we always know those are going to happen and those tend to be more internal even though we release them externally. But they're about, you know, organizational issues and things going on. So looking for opportunities to to showcase your leadership is also, you know, I would say really important for cities to think about. Yeah, and I would say it does take a lot of organization and a lot of planning as well. So it's not something that you're just going to happen upon. Everything I have strategically scheduled, so whether it's a video that comes up last minute, um, like a PSA that we need out right away, okay, so that will get bumped to the top of my list. Anything that has um, really fast turnaround and deadlines, again, it takes a lot of planning versus uh, shoots that I might have planned out, like for the series that we know, Manager's Update, that goes out every two weeks, so I know that that's an ongoing thing. Um, We have a series, uh, you asked, we 
unanswered series that we're doing once a month. So I know that's once a month and I can do it anytime within the span of the, the prior month. So it does take a lot of planning. Um, but I think knowing what your content is and what you're trying to really do with that content is crucial. So for example, if it's an event, um, once the event's over, have people moved on? Okay, a live video would be perfect for that. Is it breaking news? So maybe you have that live video like we discussed, and then you also have the HD video that you can upload to the FTP so that other media outlets can pick it up as well. Short form, again, does it tell a story? Does it have that narrative arc? Um, will people want to watch this for one to five minutes? And then long form. So our digital state of the town is the perfect example of that. Uh, that would be something that's ongoing. It involves a lot of pre-production, a lot of production, and a lot of post-production. So a much more involved time span over, over the course of a, a specific timeline. Mm -hmm. And that averages about 15 minutes, and we work on that all year. Like we're already starting to think about shooting for next year. So you're right. That is something that's um, ongoing and very intensive. Even though it's only 15 minutes, you'd think, oh, but it's highly mm -hmm. produced mm -hmm. and, and takes a lot of time. I want to give an example. You mentioned a PSA. You got a request from the mayor. Um, she wanted to make a PSA around Mental Health Awareness Month, and this was time – time sensitive because you were sneaking up on May and this needed to go out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you did that I thought was really interesting, because again, you've been doing this on your own for a few months because um, your partner in crime has been out on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So it was being thoughtful about how you could do this, still make it have, you know, meaning and strong quality. So you shot with her and realized that you needed B-roll and coverage. Well, it's not like you were going to be able to, on a short timeline, go out into the community and shoot a bunch of B-roll of mental health, kids in classrooms. So you went to stock footage mm -hmm. and found some great shots. And I thought really you were able to pull it all together and bring this piece alive. And it looks really nice and really well done. So thinking out of the box and being creative that way so that when you don't have um, all the time and resources that you might feel you need for something, there's other ways that you can do this, other tools that you can use to make your life easier. Absolutely. And I found that footage on videohive.co. So the reason we I decided to go in that way is that, again, we had the mayor on camera and she was speaking for about a minute and a half. And it was just going to be different shots of her. So I have her in a wide, a medium and a tight. And I could have chose to show her in those different shots and put maybe text on screen or just put some text next to her and call it a day. But instead, I decided to go on videohive and check out what kind of footage existed and I found some nice footage that I felt fit the um, fit the vibe of the entire video so fit the look fit the style and so I just I, I think it ended up being only three clips that I used from there and it fit really well and we ended up talking about it looks very highly produced as well it almost looks like a, a small commercial and you would think a lot of time and effort went into that and you know some did but not anything like you would think I think by watching it as a bystander or an outsider. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think there are a lot of times when you get requests to make videos when you have to look for alternative options mm -hmm. to to get it done, either because it's in a short timeline or because you have 15 other things on your plate. And so there are a lot of ways that you can um, be creative. You mentioned text, and I think I want to spend some time on this because I think this is something that's really powerful. One, because so much of 
what we're doing and we talk a lot about. There's an entire episode dedicated to um, what I believe is the end of public access television or should be. Um, we should not be creating content for a public access channel, but instead creating content that can live on various channels. And one of the main places would be social and on our social channels, the ability to share video natively, obviously, um, no one wants to click through anymore to go even to YouTube, which is a change in the last year or so. And so a lot of times when you're scrolling through your Facebook feed in a meeting when you shouldn't be watching video, but you don't really have time other than that to watch video. We're not uh -huh. doing that. Now, if you do that, of course. <laughs> Well, I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. <laughs> um, and I don't have, a, you know, a ton of time. But if I see a video and I notice there's text there, if it's a minute, a minute and a half, I'm going to be likely, more likely to stay and watch and hear what that narrative is than I am to click through or have to listen to something with sound. So we started looking pretty closely at like what you can do with text. And it's really kind of fun because there's not, it doesn't even have to be like, grammatically perfect. I mean, again, there's not, you know, spelling errors everywhere, but you can kind of have all capital letters. You can have text that's in kind of the left. You can have it in the center. You can put, you know, shading behind it. And I think it's just a lot of fun. You can do a lot, like you said, to take something that could otherwise be maybe even just a more boring video and kind of liven it up with text. Absolutely. And it's been proven that a majority of people on social are watching videos without the sound. So that's something you need to keep in mind when you're creating content. You want to make it easy for your audience. You want them to easily be able to view your video. So another thing to keep in mind besides the, the text as well, and again, um, making the text engaging and short. And you know, you don't want paragraphs of text on screen. No one wants to read that. So keeping the text very short and to the point. Uh, another thing to consider is the visual elements in those videos on social. You want, I heard, I, I read that in the first three seconds, you want to have extremely engaging footage right up front. And the reason for that is most people will start watching a video and they'll watch it for the first three seconds. And if what they're watching isn't engaging enough, they're moving on. Absolutely. And I know I do that. You know, again, one, just because time, I don't have a lot of time to spend watching videos. So if I'm going to watch it... Like, it needs to be good. And, but you're totally right. And if it's not there and you don't catch the attention quickly, you're going to move on and you'll, you know, lose that engagement. And so I think that that's a really great point. Um, Derek, you've been doing some stuff with the drone. I know you just mm -hmm. did a training for the police department. They wanted some overhead shots. And so yeah. you were there bright and early on a Saturday morning. Talk to us a little bit about that because we, believe it or not, use the drone quite a bit. I mean, one, it's very dramatic looking, of course, um, but you'd be surprised at how many opportunities there are to get that bird's eye view, forgive the phrase, but it really is true. Yeah. Just for one second though, I just want to back up for, for one second yeah. uh, to Liz made a point about, you know, having the, the video with the text and making sure it's engaging. Um, regardless of if you're using, you know, text with video or not though, you still need to consider some of your audience, um, you know, you may have deaf people that Absolutely. are watching your video. So closed captions are mm -hmm. a big thing. Um, it, even for blind people, I know that seems kind of weird to, to say that like a blind person watching a video, but closed captions can now be used for like text to speech and they can hear the text. Absolutely. So that is more so a really, really important part of video in any case. So just make sure that it's accessible too. Um, as far as the drone goes, the trainings that I that, that we just did was the police department had new cadets and they were doing a run. And so um, we filmed that video. And honestly, I think the drone video piece is a lot less intimidating than most people think. The hardest part is, again, 
um, the planning because it's not so much the fly, you know, the flying you can practice as a hobby. You can go out in the desert here in Arizona, or if you live in another state, you know, there's, there's designated areas where you can fly and practice. There's apps that you can download on your phone that will let you practice the flying and the kind of cinematography, um, and all that, but the planning, making sure that you're not flying directly over people and making sure that, you know, you're not in some kind of airspace here in Gilbert, we have airports that, that, really um, hit every single corner of Gilbert. So you have to make sure that you get either the FAA exemptions or approvals and stuff like that. You know, for this police training, I had to call the Maricopa County Sheriff's Association because they have a helipad that's right down the way from where the park was. And so I just needed to make sure that they didn't have any scheduled flights or landings or anything like that. So honestly, that's the the most difficult piece of the drone stuff. It's yeah. the, the actual filming is relatively easy. The and drone affordable. Has, yeah, yeah. The drone has a, a GoPro attached to it, which we already had. And then the drone itself, um, I'm pretty sure you can get it now from like B&H and Best Buy for like $300. Um, and that includes the camera gimbal. So you have a nice steady video and everything. And then it's just a matter of, you know, kind of positioning yourself and, and being able to recognize where the best spots are for these shots. Once you fly it enough times, like you kind of recognize where you want to position yourself, where the drone needs to be. You also need to make sure that you have a person that's with you that's watching the drone because you obviously can't be watching like your video that you're recording and seeing where the drone is. Um, you know, it's a, it's a balancing act, but it always helps to have somebody. And I just think that video just kind of gives it the punch, you know, like you were talking about. It's very dramatic looking and it, it just, it gives you shots that you normally wouldn't be able to have and even if they're not super high up like you can use a drone maybe 10 feet off the ground and get like nice slider shots or panning shots or like a zip line or a cable cam shot where you you know you just have two points and you just want the camera to move from point a to point b like the drone is really really nice for getting those um, kind of consistent stable shots yeah and i think i've mentioned this before but the community is our studio in gilbert we don't have a studio or a set or anything like that and we're really fortunate we have weather working to our advantage. I mean, I can't tell you how many times when I worked in TV or video and I had outside shoots that they were canceled or moved because we got into terrible weather and cold or rain or whatever. So we should say that we have pretty much 360 days of sunshine and blue sky here, which lends itself to great video and being outside and having things look beautiful. And and, and so we don't take advantage of that. That's for sure. Um, one thing I do want to talk about, Liz, is um, something that we've talked about, like how to make your videos live beyond the initial post, because mm -hmm. I think that's a question we get a lot related to where we put our content. But then again, how do you revive a video? Um, how do you bring something back? Like, for example, we do a safe driving campaign and we had some PSAs that we've used, but right before graduation season and summer and a couple of the big holidays, Memorial Day weekend and 4th of July, we like to do a big push again on our safe driving campaign. So I needed those PSAs updated and you made a quick fix, took out our old mayor because we have a new mayor now and put some text on it and then we could reuse those, which is really great without having to create brand new content again. So talk to me a little bit about how um, videos that you make can live beyond a post or how we can repurpose them. Yeah, what I think is essential when it comes to that is really knowing what you have. 
So you need to know what you have in your archive and what is relevant. So again, the example of the safe driving, that's a perfect example. Or say you have, uh, PSAs are, are great because they can always be, for the most part, repurposed. So say you have, there are a couple months uh, in the year, one is drowning awareness, one is drowning prevention. So if you have a really great you know, drowning PSA, you can use that for both of those months and you can repurpose the footage. Maybe, maybe you even cut a different um, video if you used it earlier in the year, you can cut something different from the footage for the second video of the year. So really knowing what you have in your archive is essential to uh, keeping on top of repurposing your videos. And that goes back to what you were talking about, about being organized and planning all that stuff out Absolutely. from the beginning. Because if you can't find your footage, then what good is it if you have it? Yeah, well, and I, I think also looking at other trends, things that are happening and thinking, huh, we made a video about that. We should re, you know, re-release it now. Mm -hmm. And Justin Timberlake, we made a dance video of his and obviously it was something that went viral that he shared. But whenever there's an opportunity or he's in the news or can't stop the feeling is trending again you better believe we're, are we winning an award related to it like we're gonna we're gonna reshare it again because there's always gonna be people that haven't seen it you can't assume that everyone who's following you has seen your your videos every time because like you said sometimes you're gonna scroll past sometimes you might not have time and so it's really important to be thoughtful of attaching yourself to other things bigger things that are going on to give it that attention as well Absolutely. Knowing what's happening is essential and knowing what you have and how it can relate to what is happening is essential. Another way um, that is a, a, good, a good way to get your videos out or get it seen by more, more eyeballs is having other channels um, retweeting you or resharing the videos. So for example, our um, Discover Gilbert channel likes to share a lot of our content. So maybe we put out the video a couple months ago, but they have something relevant that would work work for tourism and so they can go on and they can share the video and that's just another opportunity to have more people again see the content. Yeah. Absolutely. And unfortunately I think a lot of people when they're putting video and sharing it to those other channels like some I see it all the time on YouTube and on Twitter they just like reshare it blindly just thinking that oh just the more channels that share it the better that's not the case like you really need to be purposeful with that and you need to make sure that it's relevant to the channels just having more eyes on it doesn't mean it's effective oh I can tell you I follow you know lots of other cities and I'll notice when someone's managing their social media like at lunchtime then all of a sudden I'll be like 25 yeah. tweets or release of, you know, 25 videos or whatever it is. And you're like, what? That's what you know? Buffer is for. So you can schedule that yeah, stuff Yeah, and out. being thoughtful. But it is. It's all about planning. We keep talking about that. It seems to be kind of a common theme in this. But it really is, you know, planning out again, too, with how much time and investment your video is going to take. How many shoots are you going to have to have? Do you have to go out into the public? Who's going to be involved? Does that take prep? Um, who's going to see it as an internal, external? Who's your audience going to be? That might help you determine how many resources or how much time you want to put behind it. Again, if it's something that's internal for your organization and you don't think that it's going to have as far of a reach, you probably don't want to spend weeks and weeks working on something. Mm -hmm. If you have a video that you think has potential to be shared or retweeted, you have other people to tag or other outside partners in it, it's going to have, like you said, more eyeballs on it. There's something that you might want to put a little bit more time and energy into. Yeah, invest the time, take the time to make the shots really excellent and know what you have and know how to use that. And again, there are tools on all on all social, like on Facebook. If you see a video is doing really well, maybe you want to put a little bit of money behind that. And it really is a little bit of money. And maybe you want to boost that video so people have the opportunity to see it more and get it out there more. 
Absolutely. Great. I feel like we could talk about this one all day. Like that was almost 30 minutes. And yeah. Video is a big one though. Yeah, I think huge. everybody sees it. Everybody uses it. People want to yeah. create it. Well, and I get questions, like I said, all the time from other cities who are looking at what we're doing. And I mean, I have two people and again, Derek, obviously helping with the drone and others that are pitching in from a live perspective. But all in all, I think, again, it's just about doing it right and having the planning and the proper planning and, you know, the right types of people. Um, highly skilled video producers, filmmaker types, not audiovisual techs who you're asking to create high quality video. Again, if you hear me and you're out there, cities, please <laughs> don't take the AV techs you have and try to expect that they're going to turn around this, you know, Emmy award winning quality video. It's not going to happen. I have had a city call me and say, okay, we got a camera and a tripod, now what? You know, and again, I would tell you, you can start with what you probably have in your hand, which is on your iPhone. Um, and again, using those quick tools, start going live. If you don't have editing capabilities um, or any fancy software, take the tools that you have to do what you can to start small and then look at, you know, building that, you know, to be better. But um, think about bringing in experts, people who know how to shoot and create video, like you said, who are going to be able to get you the beautiful shots and plan out accordingly. Yeah, look at people who can recognize opportunity when it comes to video, and those are the people that you want, the, the people that you don't need to tell them to do those things. They just they recognize the opportunities where video is appropriate and where video can be really impactful, and those are the people you want. So not to say that an AV tech can't do that, sure. but most AV techs just, they're more on like the technical side. They're more trained to, you know, set up video and then just let it kind of run yeah. its course. You want somebody that is, is not just going to sit there, set it up and let it go. You need somebody that is active with it and that knows how to recognize that stuff. Yeah. And just like any other, you know, skill set, the, the higher level of refined skills you have, the more you're going to be able to do. So the more you are trained, the more you're going to be able to schedule, you know, like right Right now, I'm in the midst of editing three different videos. They're all different lengths. We have the ongoing series. We are working on digital state of the town planning and pre-production. So it takes a lot to have all of those things going on at once. And so really finding people with those refined skills, I think, is essential. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you guys. This was fun. I always love talking about video, my favorite topic. And thank you so much for listening. Be sure to engage with us on social media. And if you have questions or comments for us, use the hashtag GovGoneDigital. Also, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think about this podcast. And we'll see you soon from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital. <laughs>